Hey, podcast, it's your old friend Neil. Welcome back to the Film 89 podcast. And joining me tonight is... It's Sky, and, well, it would have been the dream team. It would have been us reassembled once again. But, alas, young Richie has had to duck out at the very last minute because he's got a damn migraine. Wherever he is, I hope he's well, and uh, you will be sorely missed tonight. But it is episode 96, and tonight's topic... Neil, it's a TV show that I genuinely thought we wouldn't ever be covering on Film 89. It's a TV show that, despite sort of prior warnings from esteemed peoples on the internet who'd already got a chance to see it and were telling us it was good, I still didn't believe it was going to be any good. I still had my doubts. Yeah, got to be got to be completely honest. I think it was I can't remember which one of the group it was. It might have been you sent the uh, little clip it with Robert Meyer Burnett talking about it. Yeah, and then I saw Dave Cullen talking about it as well because they 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 were given early access by Terry Metalis, weren't they? Yeah, and I, 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 I got to be completely honest, as much as I value their opinions, I was still taking some convincing from you guys to even bother yeah. giving, it a, giving it a go. Yeah, because you know, as much as well, what would have been the three of us if Richie had been here tonight, certainly you and I are huge fans of Star Trek, and as regular listeners, we'll be well aware. The first two seasons of Star Trek Picard have been, well, how would you sum up your feelings about these first two seasons of the most recent Star Trek show? I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll walk back on that one a little bit because, like I always say to you, I, I don't consider myself to be a Star Trek fan. Obviously, I love the original series. I also thoroughly enjoyed the uh, Next Generation at the, at the time that came out. I've enjoyed some of the movies. I've enjoyed all of the the original cast movies. I've enjoyed some of the Next Generation movies, but I've never considered myself to be like a sort of uber fan of Star Trek. I've just always considered that I like Star Trek. And well, you, you're gonna, you know, the the following conversation, you're gonna prove yourself wrong, because <laughs> you and I have had countless hours worth of conversations about Star Trek, and ultimately, what it is is you think that it's not cool to like Star Trek, and you want to come across as cool. So you're giving this bullshit spiel, which you've given before. Literally, there's certain things like when we do the Star Wars episodes and stuff like that. I'll have sort of. I have a vivid sort of childhood memories of the sort of almost fanatical sort of following that I used to do of everything that was Star Wars. And I've never really sort of entertained that sort of, I don't know, sort of nostalgia with Star Trek. However, I do enjoy Star Trek. And I've got, I've got to be completely honest, when Picard was announced as a solo sort of spin-off series, if you like, I'd already given up on Star Trek after sort of Discovery. I hadn't bothered with, uh, what's the Strange New Worlds? I hadn't bothered yeah. with that. Definitely weren't going to watch Lower Decks or anything like that, despite despite some people saying it's good, and I respect their opinions, it may well be, but I just just kind of given up on Star Trek, and then when Picard was announced, I was like, you know, that's probably my last bastion of Trek. Yeah, you know, and I went into the the first season really expecting something good, and it didn't work out that way, did it? Oh, God, no. I'll be upfront, Neil. Apart from some of the stuff I've seen from various YouTube commentators... Uh, and they and they sort of breakdown of season two of Picard. I, I endured the first season, and that was literally like having my fingernails pulled out. I I started watching season two, just thinking they they've got to be able to course correct it. They've got to be able to make this right. And I I I almost sort of hate watched it. I I, I was convinced that I'd watched it all the way through. But um, during a conversation with Rich the other day, I was like, sort of like, oh, oh, Q died at the end. And I can't sort of place whether I actually watched the whole season or whether I just, just didn't care that much about it, that it just doesn't store in my memory banks, you know? There was a certain things about season two where I just I just draw a complete blank on that when people talk about it. But I'm pretty convinced that I watched all 10 episodes, but I was watching it almost on a sort of, like I say, like a sort of weekly basis, much like we were watching She-Hulk 
where you could watch it to, to, just to see how bad it was rather than whether it was going to be any good or whether it was going to have any sort of turnaround. You know, I just couldn't believe that it was still being made. I don't think I saw a single episode. Um, all I've seen of season two is that bit towards the end where this kind of alternate timeline Borg queen who's been merged with the Doctor, whatever her name is, the the, the blonde girl. Yeah. Um, and it was just bad. I saw a clip of that on YouTube. In fact, it, it was... Um, as I was uh, getting my research together for for this episode, uh, and I thought, wow, what a huge gulf in quality, you know, between well, as we're going to come on to the third season. Is, Neil, is it a third season? Are we going to look at it in years to come as the third season of Star Trek Picard, or are we just going to see it as season eight of Star Trek: The Next Generation? Well, you know, I mean, the the sort of common thing that people say about the Next Generation is it didn't really get going until the third season. So <laughs> yeah, but Neil, this didn't really get going, and then there's being these first two seasons and you know again like i say i've only seen snippets of season two but it is some of the worst television i've seen in a long time yeah there was such a dearth of quality in the first two seasons you could look at it as season eight of next gen or you could look at it as a complete reboot of picard basically yeah. because so much of this other than sort of really only one character is carried over with Picard. The the rest of it just seems to be di- almost discounted, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and it, it's pretty pretty easy to sum up, really, isn't it? Yeah. Going going back even further to, to kind of give a big oh, bigger overall picture of our views on new Trek, as I call it. You know, you and I discussed the first season of Star Trek Star Trek Discovery way back on episode four of this podcast, and that first season with Jason Isaacs and the Mirror Universe plot twist, which kind of hit high gear at around episode 10. You know, we were quite into it and quite enjoying it, but by the time the second season came around, that show had just degenerated in into what was, for me, at the time, the absolute lowest point for Star Trek. A really badly written show with some just terrible performances. I genuinely... But by the time season two of Discovery came around, I actively disliked that show in a way that I haven't disliked anything else recently. Being completely straight, I say with Discovery, it was like a bit of a sort of stale opening. And like you say, I think it was around episode six, one of the the, the, the Mirror Universe started coming into it and stuff like that. And you thought, yeah, okay, this is building momentum. And then for whatever reason, I just always seem to put a break somewhere in a little bit. I was always sort of thinking, well, is this as good as I think it is? Is it, you know, is it, you know, is it, is it going to build to something ultimately that's going to sort of blow my mind? And yeah. then I say after season one, I was like, oh, I'll catch up with season two. And by the time I got round to sort of even considering catching up with it, I know from like well, I say many, many people on the in, on the old interweb, plus you guys as well. And I was like, Do you know, what? I'm not even going to waste my time. Yeah, you know, I'm literally not even going to waste my time. Mm-hmm. And I say, being honest, I think with Picard season one, yeah, I'd have probably have still given it a run just because it was Patrick Stewart. You know, um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was my thinking. Yeah. And a sort of legacy character. I like I said, I just got to the stage with Star Trek. Well, I was like, well, Star Trek's done. It's, it's finished. You know, I, I'm not really not interested anymore. I'm just not going to waste my time anymore. Yeah. Our discussion, I think, about season three tonight. We're not going to go through it episode by episode. And let, let's do something that we always neglect to do. Neil, let's give a big spoiler warning because for anyone who hasn't yet seen season three of Star Trek: Picard in its entirety, we are going to be having a complete spoiler-filled discussion. Uh, you know, but certainly by the time you get to later episodes, they're big plot spoilers. So if you've got any intention of watching it, please turn us off, go away, get up to speed, watch the entire season, then come back and listen to us. Yep, I think that's completely fair because I say, you know, obviously there's going to be there's going to be things that people are going to pick up anyway. But I think even if you picked up a few little spoilers along the way, I would say you'll still thoroughly enjoy this season. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I'm glad that you, me, Richie, and you know our, our circle of friends that you know kind of you know discuss this show weekly when a, you know a new episode drops. I'm glad that we were all for the most part able to avoid spoilers because when episode nine comes around, holy cow! You know, it, it was kind of. I think the one of the things this show does so well is. Apart from the the kind of marketing stuff early on that did show that all or most of the next generation crew were going to be returning, I like the fact that it drip feeds us the characters. Yeah, I, like I say, I, I think they had to really sort of. Yeah. You know, there was no way really that anyone because season two's ratings were absolutely abysmal by all accounts, mm. weren't they? So I think they had to like just lay their cards on a table and say, look, guys, you know, the whole next gen cast are coming back. You know, there's there's, there's not going to be any surprises here. But like you say, it could have easily been done in the first episode. For whatever reason, they could have, they could have all been at a reunion of some sort, or perhaps you know, one of them, you know, puts out a distress call to all of them, you know, and says, you know, I need all your help right now, or whatever like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't done that way, was it? I mean, you no. know, if you look at certain characters, I mean, like I don't think Diana Troy really appears properly until. Is it episode eight, episode yeah, nine? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's like the, the the kind of the last one to be you know fully reintroduced. But it, it works, doesn't it? In terms of the story, it makes everything believable. It avoids that sort of convenient thing of all of them being in, in like you say, the same place at the same time. It drip feeds them, and it also allows for opportunities like when when Geordie is eventually reintroduced, and you know he's got his job, you know, um, maintaining the Starfleet Museum, and. He's reluctant to help Picard. Yeah, and he, you know he's got valid reasons not to. Yeah, he has. Because you know, yeah. yeah. Picard mentions a few times, doesn't he? That this is thirty-five years on from from his point of view, albeit in yeah. terms of from the last time we saw the entire Next Generation crew, that would have been Star Trek Nemesis in two thousand and two, which is twenty-one years ago for us. It opens up, doesn't it, with Beverly Crusher getting into some bother, and she sends a distress signal, and then. Picard back on his, his vineyard in uh, France. He's got the old communicator badges in his drawers, isn't he? And that, and that kind of activates. Yeah. Which, you know, I thought, you know, that was a nice, cool little touch. It was it was one of those things where sort of opening sort of episode, let's say, especially when you see Picard back on his on his little vineyard and stuff like that, I was like, oh, see, this is this is just not going to be good. You know, just so many bad memories of the first yeah. two seasons. Yeah, me too. I was, like, I was instantly sort of taken back to, oh, I don't care what anyone says, this is not going to be good, I'm not going to enjoy this. And I was really sort of fighting myself to keep watching it. And like you say, surprisingly, from the first episode on, really, I was like sort of like, oh, this actually does, this might be living up to the hype, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Pretty early on then in those episodes. Uh, well, in fact, I think we've got Crusher first, haven't we? And then... Picard seeks out the help of Will Riker. Yeah. Where do we go with our discussion about Jonathan Frakes and possibly the MVP of this entire series? I, I think one of many MVPs, but... Yeah, i, I got to be honest. Where Jonathan Frakes is concerned, I think this is the best Riker's ever been. Oh, me. yeah. In fact, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retract that. No, I think that's going to be doing a disservice to Jonathan Frakes, actually. He's fantastic in this, but before I get ahead of myself, there are lots of uh, previous Trek moments where Riker has just been my guy. Riker's always been the cool guy. I mean, there's no secret that he was sort of brought on as in, yeah. if this English actor doesn't work out, we've got a Kirk, we've got a Kirk ready to go. Yeah. But for me, I mean, especially again, it's probably the sort of the aftermath of watching the first two seasons of Picard. The the character itself seems so beaten down, obviously because of personal tragedy and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. But he never really had any sort of time to shine. There was no redemption there. Not at all, and, yeah. 
this one, it was like as if he was fully embracing the fact that let's let's let our cars straight on the table here, as I think most of these actors were. Wow, I've actually got a good script here to work with. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I think that makes a hell of a difference, doesn't it? You know, with the enthusiasm left, there was not one of the original cast where I thought you've turned up for the paycheck or you've turned up because your career really hasn't panned out the way you thought it was going to sort of post-track, you know? No, I, I agree, Neil. I'll, I'll put my cards on the table early doors as well. Of the seven returning Next Generation cast, I, I can't fault any of them. Going back to what you mentioned there about Riker in, you know, obviously him and, and Deanna tried turn up in season one of Picard. The only decent episode of those entire two seasons for me was the one with those two characters. But, you know, again, having them had such a tragic loss since we last saw them... That completely sucked. It took the joy out of Riker because Riker was, like you say, he was always like a yeah. sort of that Kirk esque sort of maverick renegade. He was always a sort of like the dashing sort of hero of the piece, wasn't he? And there seems to be this tradition now. And like, funny enough, we were joking around about it on our little chat group on WhatsApp the other week. You know, I, I was coming up with when we were doing our film review, when we were talking about um, Top Gun Maverick, and I was, we'll leave Top Gun Maverick there. Yeah. You know, there seems to be this sort of definitely with star wars we've seen it and like i say to, to a lesser degree with trek this thing of we can only bring characters back if they're broken you know we can only bring a character to back if they can apologize for the sins of the past and stuff oh like yeah that. and a new trek is all about emotions isn't it it's, it's not about science fiction situations and and you know interest in social commentary it's all about emotions and how they're feeling and oh yeah, and it just seemed to be that was the thing. You know, all right, yeah, you know, it's, it's quite conceivable that some tragedy may have happened to, like, a returning character. We, I think we've just seen so much of it, not just in Trek, but in, like I say, in other things as well, hmm. where someone's brought back and they're almost... You're not allowed to bring, a, like, a legacy character back unless they're a shell of themselves. Yeah, that's right. And you don't, you didn't want to see Riker be in a shell of himself. Look what they did with Picard, with him dying and then having this... Yeah. Oh, android body and... But again, with that, I mean, you know, prior to him dying, all he did was sort of walk around and sort of get belittled by people, yeah, or apologise, or, or or that have that admiral, you know, the sheer fucking hubris, sheer fucking hubris, which I, you know, I Fuck. love it as a sort of meme, like, you know, but uh, you know, it's a oh. great way of just, it's a great way of describing bad writing. It's just having her going sheer fucking hubris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, it's worth it just for the meme that you know that followed. Yeah, but, you know, like you say, getting... Well, it's it's not just, you know, it's getting Picard and Riker's relationship, right? Isn't it something which maybe was kind of never fully developed as much as it could have been on The Next Generation and in the films? Yeah. And and, and then getting Riker to teach Picard something in terms of, of, of his own loss, his loss of a son, as Picard is then finding his own son. And yeah. it, it then turns that tragedy that him and Troy have suffered that we've learned about in season one of Picard, there, there's a payoff to that, isn't there? Yeah, there's there's almost that sort of um, sort of pathos to it, really. Is like, you know, through, through his pain, he can help someone else. And through helping someone else, he becomes Riker again. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. rather than just, let's just break him down because, you know, obviously he's a legacy character, so he must be wrong in some way. And yeah. look at this fancy new character who's instantly better at him and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So he enlists the help of Riker because he gets this distress call from Crusher and then he needs a ship. And Riker is the former captain of the USS Titan, which is now, it's got a different captain. Let's talk about Todd Stashwick as Captain Shaw. It just, again, you know, 
a combination of of a great performance and and a great script again i mean it would have been so easy just to have played this guy as a complete dickweed no neil where have we seen captains like this before think back right to well you've got ronnie cox's one definitely in the next generation but uh yeah but i mean in terms of like dickhead captains who were just put in just to be a pain in the ass for our heroes like them uh, oh, yeah. The captain in the captain of the Excelsior in Star Trek Three, yeah, yeah, he's there just to be a dickhead by the books, sort of pain in the ass that kind of stops or tries to stop Kirk and Co stealing the Enterprise. Yeah, but my God, and you know when when he first meets Picard and Riker, and uh, they're in the, the the captain's quarters having some food, and he's already started eating because yeah. And like the respect com- yeah, the complete fucking disdain that he shows Picard and Riker and, and like the snarkiness and whatever. And from the start, I'm just like, oh, God, this guy is a complete fucking dickhead. At that point, I thought, oh, I wonder if this is sort of Borg Lacutus related. You know, that's because he was already he'd already sort of picked on Seven and Nine when yeah. he was calling her by a real name and, yeah. you know, or, or sort of birth name or whatever. <laughs> is this like one of these things where you misgender someone if you call seven and nine by a real name I don't know dead naming um, it's called dead naming yeah dead naming yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah he, dead, he dead named seven, seven and nine like you Neil I'm not going to say that I predicted everything in this show but even then those first couple of episodes with him being such a dick I did have I thought he's either suffered at the hands of the Borg or he's lost someone to the Borg yeah I, I thought it was going to be another kind of Benjamin Sisko Wolf 359 thing and... yeah yeah and I thought that's kind of obvious but thinking about it I mean the impact that the Borg had originally yeah. it would be yeah, new of people you would you know even like 30 odd years later you'd still be bumping into people who were going yeah. I remember you when you had you know wires coming out mm. of the side of your head mate but yeah 39 starships lost at the Battle of Wolf 359 yeah uh, Neil you know you might want to call me dumb but it was only today that I realised Captain Shaw when we finally get a big reveal from him in the you know the holographic bar on the Titan as to why he's got such a problem with Picard and he's kind of he comes in kind of drunk doesn't he and he gives his yeah. quint like speech like quint speech the, the the USS Indianapolis speech from Jaws when he's talking about the Battle of War 359 quint was of course played by Robert Shaw oh my days <laughs> and this is Captain Shaw <laughs> oh hang on <laughs> I stupidly had not made the connection but I, damn I don't, know, I don't know if that was deliberate if it was that was fucking yeah. genius Benil, that moment where he reveals, you know, he's, he's kind of he kind of plays his cards. Did your mother already tell you the story? Well, actually, uh, what a harrowing tale of survival. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt family time. I may be a little out of sorts. <laughs> your mother's pretty liberal with those pain meds, but uh. Speaking of harrowing stories, did your old man ever tell you about the time that he and I first met? USS Constance, start A 4400 2.3. Now, come on, you must have heard about the Battle of Wolf 359. 40 Federation starships up against one Borg cube. Yeah, I was just an engineering, just a, a grease monkey. And the next second, it's like 
It's like space itself was burning. 50 of us made it down to the life deck. But uh-oh, there's just one life pod, 10 seats. Now, the thing is, we were all friends. They were all my Jack Crusher. We weren't, we didn't fight over who should live and who should die. Uh, we, we waited for orders and then finally, some lieutenant comes down and she just starts puffing. You, you, you. She's pointing at me. Why, why me? I'm just some dipshit from Chicago. Now I'm lucky number 10. She didn't even count herself. Get in, she says. That's an order. I know. I know. I know. I asked myself the same thing. She make a mistake. I'm sorry. 11,000 dead. Do you know where your old man was on that day? He was on that board cube, setting the world on fire. Forget about all that weird shit of the stargazer. The real Borg are still out there, and they have a name for you. Locutus of Borg. The only Borg, so deadly, they gave him a goddamn name. All right, that's enough. No. No. It's all right. I understand. Computer, arch. It's not overdone. And, and like the, the venom that he's got towards Picard and towards the Borg is not overdone. And I love as well the fact that at that point, it, this is where Jack and Picard's relationship isn't solidified. And Jack almost comes to his father's defense, doesn't he? As if to say, well, hey, hang on now, right? You just chill out, pal, and, you know, show this old man some respect. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't actually him doing it. He wasn't, mm. he wasn't choosing to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's no. right. And then I love Picard's reaction, where he's just kind of like, uh, I haven't got much to say, but yeah, I'll just get up and leave. That whole scene is just, my God. And even by this point, we, we've had several of these scenes, because let's talk about that conversation, you know, if we're talking about Jack, that conversation between Beverly Crusher and Picard about why she never told him that he had a son. Because that's real people talking about real issues. And i got to say, it's some of the best written and certainly the best acted stuff I've seen from these two. And that really is saying something. Definitely from these two characters. Yeah, definitely. There was just such a feeling to it all the way through that, like I say, the easy thing to do when you bring back a, sort of a legacy show 
is to try and rewrite the book, you know, and try and sort of flip everything on its head. And people are trying to do this constantly with not just Star Trek, but like I say, many other franchises. And that's what's causing a lot of the sort of fan sort of backlash, if you like, is you're going too far the other way. But this sort of gave us almost like classic Trek, well, classic next-gen Trek, but wasn't afraid to sort of tap into genuine human emotions, genuine real-life events, if you like. You could base that on, you know, that one scene there could have been in any number of other sort of prop- non-sci-fi properties, and you were still bought into it, wouldn't you? Yeah, and, and because she's spent, you know, a, a period of, um, you know, she's in, she gets shot, doesn't she, early on in our first episode, and then she's kind of like in stasis, and then she's in recovery. Picard doesn't get an opportunity immediately to confront her about where she's been for the last 20 years and, and then when they finally do have that big sit-down discussion. Two months before I left the Enterprise, do you remember our shore leave on Kasparia Prime? The waterfalls? A perfect day on borrowed time. They called you back early. That's how it always was with us. There was always a clock. That day, maybe more than any other, because we both knew we were at the end. I didn't. I didn't know I would never see you again. That I would wonder for years what it was that I had done. Having no idea that it was really all about what you had done. We ended our relationship. Our romantic relationship for the the fifth time. Well, I got pregnant that night. I wanted to tell you. Then... Why didn't you? I struggled over telling you. I wanted him to know you, but then refugees from Kalara 5, angry about Romulan relocation, kidnapped you and held you for nine days. Oh, so my only window was for nine days. Then I tried again, but this time, two Riemann assassins intercepted the ship in the Denatra sector and held a disruptor to your head. And, and how is that? That was only days later, Starfleet asks you to negotiate with the Praetor and a photon grenade detonates meters from you. And that is when I knew it would be like that forever. It will be what it always was, attempts on your life. And you never thought if you had told me, it all might have been different. Jean-Luc, when the galaxy comes calling for you, you are not put upon by it. You love it. Don't tell me you would have walked away. Beverly, you made the choice for me. You don't get to condemn people before the fact. Over and over. You told me how you never wanted to have a family, that you could never be a father because you were too afraid you'd be like your own. Don't take my past and use it to justify and rationalize your actions. How dare you take my confiding in you about my father, about my fears, and use it to cut me out of the biggest decision of my life. What could have been had I known? What might I have been? 
father, a husband. I know now I would never have been my father. But I could have learned that 20 years before. When Jack was on his way, I was terrified. All I knew was that if you're the son of Jean-Luc Picard, there's a target on your back. I lost my parents, then a husband, then my son Wesley, all to the same stars that own you. As a mother, your whole being is about protecting your child. I, I thought I could protect mine. I didn't know if I could protect yours. Having rewatched that scene now several times, I mean, the dialogue, the performances, and Patrick Stewart, or, or the Picard in seasons one and two, would be, yeah, oh, yeah, I fully understand, yeah. No, no, he's like, no, who the fuck are you to keep my son from me? Yeah. And it, it's not even in the same way that, um, like, you know, Kirk knew about David and the fact that he's got this, he's had this distant sort of knowledge of the fact he's got a son and then you've got the final thing of him confronting the fact that he's got a son and, and he meets him this thing is totally different this is like oh, hang on you had a fucking son you had my son and you never told me about it how dare you and i love the fact that it doesn't it doesn't go easy on crusher but at the same time <laughs> the, the examples she brings up as to why it's very well balanced because you kind mm. of understand where she's coming from yeah but then both of us sort of speaking as fathers, you can only imagine how much that would hurt to find out so later on in life that you've missed out on so much. But, but she's also defensive, isn't she? Because she's already lost one child, isn't she? You know? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, because uh, you know Wesley Crusher went off with the, the Traveller, attained like these godlike powers, and she will conceivably never see him again. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Like I say, you you can you can kind of see both sides of it, but again, you know that's almost like a perfect scene there, isn't it? Where you can where you can really pick the villain of the piece. Yeah. Well, speaking of the villain of the piece, Neil, Amanda Plummer as Vadic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, I I gotta be honest, I enjoyed her performance. I thought it was a very sort of almost like a stock villain of the villain of the week, really, wasn't it? But you know, I enjoyed her performance as Vadic. I gotta be honest. I, I like the smoking. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't see enough characters smoking, especially women. Yeah, it's, it was, it's probably something that goes back to the sort of old tradition. I mean, so that the, they were criticising the, the last Bond for, wasn't it? It was your bad. You always had a sort of scar yeah. <laughs> and smoked. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I think it was pretty. I thought, I thought, you know, Plummer's performance. I couldn't fault. Like I say, I didn't think there was a great deal of depth to the character, uh, to, to the actual villain itself. You know, this, this was never going to be another Khan, was it? Is she intentionally riffing on her father's own performance, or Christopher Plummer's performance in Star Trek VI? She's spinning around in the chair. She's being all theatrical. It's General Kang from The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But then, I mean, she's kind of a sort of made a sort of bread and butter out of being a sort of kooky and sort of quirky person. So this was nice to see her put an evil sort of spin on it, if you like. Yeah, and and she's certainly had a ruthless streak. But when she's on the bridge and she's uh, you know making it's like Jack. Come up to the bridge now. Now you've got one minute or I'm going to kill someone. 
and you know she's going to do it. She was going to execute every last motherfucker on that one. <laughs> of course but... she does. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you got to report that. That was, that was the only time I would have accepted swearing in you, Trek, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, Neil, another character they brought back that I did not see coming. Michelle Forbes as Ro Laren. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, there's so much with this. I mean, we we can see the praise of like the, the the show creators and the show writers you know as much as, as as everyone else has but it was just nice there was so much love went into this one there there was so you know and to bring her back i thought totally unexpected that was you know especially when you knew the sort of big seven were back you weren't really expecting to see her turn up and then again you know what a fantastic way to bring her back as well because obviously you had the sort of the conflict between her and Picard. you had sort of riker's justifiable immediate mistrust of her yeah no Neil I haven't done I haven't watched I haven't done a rewatch of the next generation but again playing my cards on the table I think this recent season this has pushed me back into Star Trek in such a way that I'm probably I'm going to do a, a next generation rewatch soon Michelle Forbes' character of Ro Laren how many episodes of the next generation did she show up in because I know she was in Ensign Row, obviously the first episode yeah. And then it was preemptive strike was the one. Crikey, was that the penultimate episode I of, think it was, of season seven? I was going to say, you're, you're going back Christ, 20 odd years. 30 since odd years. To my mind, she was sort of brought in just at the end, like, wasn't she? Yeah, because like, I, I know there was, there was an, I think there was an episode called The Mackie, and she ended up obviously joining The Mackie, obviously being Bajoran. Yeah. Um. Obviously, she was kind of mentored by Picard. Am I, am I remembering this correctly, that it's implied that they had a sexual relationship in um, Next Generation, or, or, or am I getting, or am I making that up? My sort of take on it was there was almost like sort of like, like a role model, like a sort of tutor, like, you know? Hmm. I, I always thought that she had romantic feelings for him. Yeah. You know, as in that sort of like, first as a sort of uh, figure of authority, but also hmm. that, I don't want to say father figure, because that sounds wrong now, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know, I know, I know. But I don't, I, I don't think, I think, I don't think it was ever implied. No, but I'm, again, I might be this. Be there's going to be Trekkie fans now shouting at their at their radio sets at me. <laughs> yeah, but that episode, um, I think it was it was season episode. It was episode five, wasn't it? Imposters. Yeah, it was obvious that she was going to be a change. That she was going to be an imposter. And then, nope. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. We're not going to be that obvious. Yeah, I I gotta say it. I think that 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 scene where you know they they kind of have that face to face, and and she's saying, "Just want you to understand that I did what I did for what I felt were the right reasons." Just just putting closure to that relationship, it just shows that. In fact, and you know, we haven't even mentioned Terry Metalis. We haven't yeah. even mentioned his name yet, and he's the guy that has brought this all into being. You know, he's he's the showrunner, he's the you know the, the main writer and he's directed several episodes. And again, it's a huge creative team that have put this together. But I think if if you're going to attribute the success of the MCU to Kevin Feige, then you are going to attribute the success of this season. Strangely, I was just about to say a couple of years ago when I compared him to Kevin Feige, but now I don't want to. Oh no no. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Feige up to a point. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the crew of the of the, of the Titan because Captain Shaw's number one is Seven of Nine, played obviously by Jerry Ryan. And if we're gonna go down the lines of seasons one and two never happened, I know it's difficult because they did, and this show they doesn't. Did, and then you've still got the relationship with her and the um, and, and Rafi. Uh, from our little sort of tete a tetes on uh, certain uh, groups. I quite like Bill uh, Bill's uh, take on it that this might be like an alternate timeline or a different <laughs> sort of universe or something. 
or, or is you know Picard gets out of the shower one day like Bobby Ewing on Dallas and it's all been a dream and uh, here we are uh, seasons one and two never happened and uh, yeah this is season three it's, it's strange because it, it sort of acknowledges that season one and two have happened and then almost sort of discounts them straight away and I've no problem with that <laughs> yeah it, it, it acknowledges the fact that Raffi and Seven of Nine had a relationship yeah, and uh, you know, so Picard had his little you know romance at the beginning, didn't he, with his his Romulan? Oh, yeah, the, um, yeah, played by that, yeah, the Irish girl, yeah. Yeah, so you know, like you say, so it it was almost sort of actively acknowledging. And what what was the kid? I can't remember the young the young fella's name, the um, the Romulan who chopped people's heads off. Oh yeah, the um, you mean on oh, um, space Legolas? <laughs> space Legolas, yeah, <laughs> the, the Rock's illegitimate elf son. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> Fuck. Fuck those fucking two seasons, Jesus Christ! It's I totally sort of, forgot about him. There was some mention made of him as well, whether he was on, he'd yeah. gone aboard some ship or something. And so I think they were actively acknowledging that it had happened, but yeah, like you say, it was almost like sort of rewriting history a little bit, wasn't it? Do you know? I got to think. You know, thinking back to those seasons prior to this, I don't think there was a single new character that I liked at all. There wasn't, no, not, not, not any way through it. And the, the reasons, yeah. the reasons behind that was, like I say, you. You, you feel bad sort of knocking the actors because I think you can only work with what you're given sometimes, but there yeah. was no one really that endeared themselves to you, was there? God, no. I think it's because they all they were all so snarky, they were all so disrespectful of authority. It was just basically written by young millennial Californians. And Alex Kurtzman. <laughs> Alex Kurtzman. <laughs> Who's not young. <laughs> no. Storytelling yeah, that he likes to propagate. It just doesn't work with Trek and... And no. I don't think it works with most things, to be honest. But it's fine if you're watching some sort of teen drama. But we're so used to now seeing, like you say, Starfleet was almost like the sort of evolution of man, wasn't it? You know, and I'm yeah. not going to riff on that little thing we watched of Rob by a Burnett. I can't remember his exact words. So I'm paraphrasing now. We said, well, Star Trek never told you something. It showed you something and made you think. You know, I might, I might paraphrase. Star Trek shouldn't tell you how to think. It should give you things that's to true, think about. Oh, oh. Yeah, with Star Trek. Yeah. And that was the thing. I mean, when you watch Star Trek, it was always that sort of, even when you had your moments of people saying, no, you know, I'm just going to go with my gut or damn it, I've got to do whatever. There was always that sort of respect for the authority. There was always that sort of chain of command. Yeah. There was always that sort of logic-based sort of argument to why we shouldn't be doing this, even if that was like an ensign talking to a captain. With respect, yeah. sir. Yeah, it was, yeah that's, <laughs> that's right. It was... You know, there were several times where captains and first officers had their orders called into question, and but it was always done in a way that was like, yeah, thank you for your suggestion or whatever, I'll note it on my log, but... Uh, I, like I say, that, that, that's the one thing I will bring up, was the swear trek. Now, I've probably oh. sworn 15 times during this recording already without even knowing about it. Um, so I'm not a shrinking violet, I, I'm not averse to bad language and anything. But for me, trek was always that sort of thing of... People don't swear because we've evolved so far past that that we don't need to. And yeah. especially these guys who are like the elite, you know, Starfleet. You know, if you're in Starfleet, you're the best of the best. You know, you're, you know, you're ticking every box. You're so sort of well trained. You're so sort of calm under pressure that you're not going to drop an f bomb. That's right. There, there was that thing, Neil, wasn't there? I don't know if you're aware of it, but Gene Roddenberry kind of set out some ground rules. He he wanted them to be adhered to by. The, the writers on Star Trek The Next Generation. It was called Roddenberry's Box, and it was this rule that in the 24th century, humanity had evolved to a point where we no longer had conflict, and 
amongst our kind of crew, we were never supposed to have direct conflict because they had evolved to such a level that they could sort out their problems in a diplomatic and respectful way that they wouldn't be at each other's throats. Now, as things moved on and when Roddenby passed away in... Was it 1991? Yeah, that, that kind of rule it started to kind of like dissolve a little bit, certainly by the time we got to Deep Space Nine. But again, they, there's always that respect for the chain of command. Benjamin Sisko is, is never being shouted at. Characters who are supposed to be subordinate to him. Neither is Catherine Janeway. And it, it's kind of still adhered to, even though they're not always yeah. right. And there is always, you know, there, there are times where Chakotay would disagree with Janeway. And, and, you know, they made for some of the best episodes where they had a moral debate over things. Certainly in Voyager, where they were like meeting, you know, races halfway across the galaxy and they had no authority there. And, you know, there, there were loads of, of examples of their relationship. And but they were, their relationship was, was done in such a way that, much like Picard and Riker's, there was always respect and it was a two-way thing. And then this new show introduces these young crew members, but none of them are done in the same sort of snarky kind of style that we've seen in Discovery and previous seasons of Picard. Take, for example, Ashley Sharp Chestnut, yeah. who plays Sydney mm. LaForge. <laughs> you know, by the end, I'm like, yeah, uh, whatever show we're going to have next now, I want her on board. She's great. I loved her relationship with Jack. I, I like the fact that she's kind of in her father's shadow. Uh, she is at heart a natural engineer but she doesn't want to be who her, her love is is being a pilot and when geordie is finally reintroduced there's a you know a cool kind of three-way dynamic be- between his two daughters one of which is a, an engineer and the other one who kind of no I, I don't want to follow in your footsteps but you know at the same time you know my father i love you and i want to make you proud you know there's none of this stuff that we've seen in these new younger characters that is so dislikable. you just think how that would have been handled in a, in, under, under a different sort of showrunner Let's sure. think how that would have yeah. been handled, you know, under a sort of Kurtzman sort of rule, and that would have been like, you know, you, you, you know, you're nothing to me. You, 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 you're a sperm donor. You weren't even my father. You were, out, you were out in space exploring, you know, you know, and it'd probably be some hackneyed line about, you know, you, you know, you might have sight now, but you don't see the real me or something corny like that, like, and, and that would have been it, you know, that would have. It's the same approach, Neil, isn't it? That um, a certain director took with a certain Star Wars from a few oh. years back, where it was like destroy the past you know and that's the thing you know you could see you could see there being conflict there you could see that Jordy, you know i'm not gonna say didn't approve but you know would have rather taken another path or would have rather you know obviously the conflict there between the sisters of like well you know you've just done what you, you know what dad wants type thing you know and stuff like that but it was it was all so subtly done and well written yeah. that it was engaging to watch rather than just it was it was like a believable kind of family dynamic, wasn't it? You know, you're not chewing the back of the sofa watching it, are you? Yeah, and and following on from what you know that point I was just making there about you know destroying the past is is the outlook of um, certain storytellers when they handle franchises. This one has gone the other way, and there's that line from Picard. I think is in either episode nine or ten, where he's on the bridge of the Enterprise D, and he says, "If ever there was evidence that the past mattered, it's right here." And that is what that's this season in a nutshell, isn't it? That's the thing, like I say, you know, they've top gun Maverick did, haven't they? You know, that, that's that's the oh, thing. God, when you yeah. when you bring back a sort of a legacy sort of character or a legacy franchise or whatever, there's no point bringing back a legacy character if all you're going to do is tear it down. There's no point, you know. Yeah. Like you say, we, we, when we look at Star Wars, and we're not saying anything else that anyone else hadn't seen, how you could bring back Han, Luke, and Leia and never have them share a scene. Oh, you know, man. it's just like, listen, fan, serv- fan service is a sort of, well, we, we've had this discussion before, 
it's a sort of almost like an insulting sort of thing that people, oh, it's just fan service. Yeah, certain things are, you know, and certain things can be a bit on the nose. But if it's done right, then fan service is the greatest thing you can do because it's giving the fan what they want. <laughs> I, I think, Neil, that fan service is a bit of a disparaging term. It's not fan service. It's more like customer service. It's giving the fans, the paying customers, what they want. Like I was going to say, my father's, you know, he's, He's loved the next generation, has not watched season one or two mm-hmm. of Picard. And just on the basis of me sort of telling him now, you know, you do realize that's on Paramount now, you can watch that. As, you know, yeah. against my better wishes, has, has started on season one. But I said, no, I'm going to watch them all. You know, even though I've said to him, you know, just don't bother, you can just catch up with season three. He's like, no, actually, I'm going to watch them all. That's something that he enjoyed 30 odd years ago. You know, probably when he was about mm-hmm. my age. You know, that's, yeah. And to bring him back into the fold is great, but to bring anyone back into the fold, this should be the objective of this is why we're bringing back Jean Luc Picard. This is why we're bringing back the next generation cast. You know, or insert name. You know, Luke Skywalker, whoever. You know, Maverick or whatever. Yeah. You're bringing someone back after all these years because people want to see those characters again. And yeah, you know, if 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 you're talking about you know bringing things back, Neil, and nostalgia and member berries to use the the, the South Park term, let's talk about episode six, the bounty, because holy shit, Neil, the member berries were being rammed down our throats here, and I was loving every minute but of it. I, I think it says a lot for it that yeah, if I told you this was going to happen, you'd have said to me that sounds like a sort of Star Trek wet dream. Yeah, that's going to be too much. Don't yeah. do it. And I think this, this yeah, the scene you're getting at, Neil. It's the, the Fleet Museum scene. Yeah. Let me see. That one is the Defiant. Mm, that's the New Jersey. Oh, well. But this one is my personal favorite. Kirk's Enterprise. All those perfectly clean retro lines. Yep. I'm definitely a Constitution class man. It's a fair amount of history for somebody who doesn't give a damn about Starfleet. Oh no, I've always loved a starship. Well before I knew anything about my old man. Oh. Oh, she's a beauty. Which one's that? The USS Voyager. She made her name farther out than... Any of those other relics had ever gone. I was reborn there. She was my home. Her crew were my family. And now You're just trying to find another. We all long for connection. We're all just a little bit alone, aren't we? Stars in the same galaxy, but light years between us. Oh, you are definitely your father's son. He too has a knack for the um, poetic drive-by observation. It can be very annoying, but it can also make a person feel seen. Well, I can't say. Being equal parts irritating and endearing isn't entirely unfamiliar. <laughs> oh, what's that one? That's a, is that a Klingon bird of prey? 
the HMS Bounty, pulled from the bottom of San Francisco Bay. Yeah, right, the whole whale thing. Story goes they had a hell of a time finding it. Disappeared. Because the cloaking device had reactivated. Because we see, in one scene, the USS Defiant from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the Enterprise A, we see the Voyager, and then you've got that lovely line from Seven of Nine where she's talking about, you know, that was her home there, that was, you know, she had a family there. And fucking hell, Neil, let's pinch ourselves because they steal the fucking cloaking device from the bounty, the Klingon <laughs> bird of prey from Star Trek for the Voyage home. On the surface, if you if you were explaining to me, I'd say this sounds really bad. This is a really, you yeah. know, really bad idea. But at no point was any of this done. When I, uh, the the way it was done was just so superbly handled that I was like, well, yeah, great, this is fantastic. I'm just yeah. absolutely loving this. Oh God, yeah. And like you say, to you know, even to, to, to sort of call back to Nick and the cloaking device from the bounty, this shouldn't work, but it did. No. Let's talk about right the score because Stephen Barton and Frederick Weidman's score for this entire season. Holy cow. And I think one of the best examples is the track, I think it's called Legacies, which is the the piece of music that accompanies that scene where Jack and Seven of Nine are looking at all these different ships that are kind of uh, in in this kind of these stasis rings in the Fleet Museum. And they're talking about each one in succession. Each time you see a ship, you, you see the Defiant and you hear the Deep Space Nine theme, you hear the Voyager theme, you hear Leonard Rosamond's theme from Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, when we see the Klingon Bird of Prey. Yeah. It's weaved in in a way that if you're not familiar with those themes, you might not even you might not even register that the music is changing yeah, each time you see a ship. it's more like a subtle motif, in it, than a sort of rabbit oh, yeah, it, your throat, it, like, you know? Yeah, and I, I guess it could be argued that, you know, it, it is quite obvious, but it's done in such a like a loving and respectful kind of way it's like it's paying homage to those those previous composers and it fits in perfectly with the whole sort of feeling of this whole season which is yeah this has been everyone involved in this loves star trek and most importantly yeah. everyone involved in this knows star trek yeah because it's got alexander courage's original star trek theme it's got jerry goldsmith's next generation theme obviously it also pays homage heavily to goldsmith's score Star Trek First Contact because obviously as we'll come to later they are huge tie-ins with this season and the events of Star Trek First Contact and obviously in particular the Borg well I was going to say that sort of ties in doesn't it because they were sort of almost teasing us really from the beginning with that because oh yeah and we never saw it did we we never saw it coming the fact they had the first contact music playing I mean there was little things happening on the back on the display screens and stuff like that that you perhaps were picking up on and stuff like that and it was as it was going on it was like yeah we've been feeding you this we you know it's no surprise we told you from the start yeah (laughs) but you were so and I gotta say Neil this season has prompted me to rewatch Star Trek First Contact I think that score by Jerry Goldsmith it might be and I mean you know we've done an entire episode about Goldsmith it's certainly up there as one of his best scores and I think one of my all time favourite music scores for any film and the fact that so much of it is I don't want to say reused but it's paid homage to throughout this season but then you've also got Dennis McCarthy's uh, score for Star Trek Generations, which I've said several times on this podcast, is one of my all-time favorite scores. The cues from that score, which are lifted wholesale and which are put in in I think the final episode, and when they eventually go back onto the bridge of the Enterprise D, there's a little bit of the Generations theme as the turbolift doors open and they step onto the bridge. Yeah. My God, there's James Horner's score. So much of that from Star Trek Two is is kind of reused, kind of incorporated into this. Even as I said to you before we start recording. Having, you know, I've listened to the score several times this week. 
there's, there's a little motif of Khan's motif. And I, I don't know where exactly in which episode it's used. I would imagine it's one of the space battle scenes. But again, the fact that these two guys, these two composers, they clearly got a, an incredible knowledge of, of the legacy of incredible music that has accompanied Star Trek over the years. Yeah, it's almost as if they, that's all they've ever wanted to do is write, you know, is compose for Star Trek. You know, yeah, and they're not and afraid to say, look, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants here. But so much of that score as well is new stuff. And there they're is pitching a so well. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, they, they openly sort of acknowledge, like like I say, we're standing on the shoulders of giants here, but let us do our thing as well. You know, yeah. And it it, yeah. it really just works so well. Another thing that this this show does, which it 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 ties in to the main kind of story thread from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and it brings that kind of kind of crashing into the next generation sort of storyline. And that for me, given the fact that when he was on. I think Deep Space Nine was probably the point where my my love for and my obsession with Star Trek probably started to peak. I don't know, maybe maybe it had already peaked, but it certainly plateaued with Deep Space Nine because when that show finally got up and running in, I think season three, and and you had this kind of Dominion story arc which carried on. (laughs) It was peak Star Trek. And, you know, you could say that original series is peak Star Trek and some of the movies are and Next Generation is, but, you know, a lot of stuff is peak Star Trek and certainly the connection to Deep Space Nine is something that I was more than on board with. And again, I was going to say with Deep Space Nine, you know, there's me saying I'm not a, a massive Trekkie fan. I dipped in and out of that, i got to be completely honest. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those ones I always think I'd love to go back now and sort of rewatch. Because I think yeah. there's so much I've missed out on with that. Oh God, yeah, it's got to be worth a rewatch. It has to. So many people I know, and I've not rewatched it. I've not. I've rewatched individual episodes, but I've not rewatched the season as a yeah. whole since I originally saw it. But so many people I know that have come into it late and have watched it in recent years, or have rewatched it, have, have said, "Yeah, it still holds up and it's incredible." Yeah. So Vadik, she's obviously you know she's a changeling, as we find out pretty early on, and. She's got this super ship, the Shrike, which has got this um, you know new weapon that we saw put to amazing effect when they picked up um, what was that Starfleet building? It kind of yeah, uh, like the sort of you know headquarter conference, whatever it was. <laughs> and I think it was a training facility, wasn't it? Yeah. It kind of um, dropped it into like a, a wormhole and so then it picked kind it up of, and sort um, of dropped it on itself. Yeah, it reappeared a couple of hundred feet in the air and kind of smashed into the ground, killing hundreds of people. Which is you no, know, I'm not being funny, Neil. This this is called like a. A bottle season. It's a season that's filmed on a budget on kind of you know reuse sets, so we see the same sets over and over again. But my God, we still see stuff like that, and and I do question sometimes that this did this really have such a small budget because some of the effect shots are fucking amazing. Well, I was going to say the effect shot was uh, amazing, but uh, the reaction of Raffi watching it was just <laughs> sort of took me out of it a little bit. Oh, Raffi, oh. the the one hold over from seasons one and two that I don't think we needed. Her character still in this did nothing for me. I'm glad they paired her up with Worf. Let, let's talk about New Worf. Yeah, I like, Worf, I like the, New Worf. Worf the pacifist. Because if he's a pacifist, fucking one of the first things he does is decapitate someone. Well, I think that was the sort of general concern, <laughs> wasn't it? That was the, that was the one he wanted. Was, uh, I, didn't see the, I didn't see the trailers for it, but a few people had said about the trailers for it that, you know, or they, they seem to be playing Worf down as a sort of as a pacifist and you know it, it was going to be like you know this is you know, they're playing it for comic effect and stuff like that but like you say I think he was about well I think to Worf he was a pacifist but he clearly wasn't was he? No and I think it was done kind of tongue in cheek I've always loved Worf he's always been one of my favourite characters and the fact that he was able to carry on in Deep Space Nine and have loads more adventures is just great I thought he was used superbly well in, in Star Trek First Contact 
But going back to, I think, the, the point I was kind of leading to is when we see the Shrike repeatedly using this kind of weapon to keep the Titan uh, in this nebula and, and things kind of go pear-shaped and then Picard, you know, he, he kind of takes control, doesn't he? Yeah. And then he orders them to open fire on the Shrike having sneaked up behind them, pulling a move from the, the Kirk textbook yeah. of... Uh, you know, Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. And then you've got that bit where Vadik then uses the weapon to redirect the Titan's weapons back on the Titan. It cripples them. They're then heading towards this gravity well at the center of the nebula. They're completely fucked. And Riker thinking, what have you fucking done? You've killed us all. Get off my bridge. Yeah. <laughs> and literally telling him that as well. Not just thinking, they telling him that as well. I didn't immediately make the connection, but get off my bridge is the line that Picard says to Worf in first contact, doesn't he? Of course, yeah, yeah. When, when Worf is, is questioning Picard's, you know, sort of, he's like, right, hang on, because I think that um, one of the officers comes up and he's, he's all beaten up or whatever and says, you know, the Borg are taken over, you know, deck by deck, we can't hold them back. And he's like, no, you'll go back there, you'll you'll hold your ground. And and Worf's like, well, hang on a minute, Captain, uh, they're going to get killed. You know, we, sh- we should, you know, abandon ship and, and set the auto-destruct. And he's like, you want to you abandon ship? You, you coward. And there's that amazing confrontation between the two of them. Yeah. And then he says, get off my bridge. And that's what Riker says to him. This is like an older, like young Will Riker would have been, you know, he's like Captain Kirk, wasn't he? But because he's gone through so much tragedy and loss or whatever, he's far more risk averse, isn't he, than young Riker? Yeah, he's more sort of, uh, I'm not going to say battle hardened, but he's more sort of battle scarred, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, how many of these characters are, are different because of, because of age? Like Jordy, the fact that he's got children now, he's he's got a family. Usually, he would kind of follow Picard's orders into you know in without question, certain without death question, or whatever. Yeah. They've evolved. They're, you know, he's he's an older man now. Yeah, and I, I, I see they played to the strengths of the characters being older, didn't they? Yeah, you know, there was, you know, they do. Yeah, when you, like you see with Worf, I think he's realised that they, well, they never really sort of revealed what happened to his enterprise, did they? But. Yeah, because he eventually didn't he became the captain of the Enterprise. Either. Yeah, that's right. And I think you know whatever's happened there. I mean, it was played for comic effect. You know that sort of throwaway like one. It was like, oh, that wasn't my fault. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, perhaps something happened there that made him sort of realize. You know, I need to chill a little bit. I need to sort of take into account what I'm doing. I need to sort of you know not react as quickly. And yeah, yeah. But then, I think is it the eighth episode Neil that um, Picard and co are, are finally able to turn the tables on Vadik and she gets kind of ejected from the bridge into space yeah. and uh, she's frozen and shattered on the, the kind of hull of the Shrike and that's it she's gone and she and we're like oh so you know the changelings and, 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 and her being the kind of you know lead villain of this piece um, you know maybe there's something else at play which then leads on to episode nine Vox that was the thing what you you had that sort of like connection with the what does she want with jack crusher all the way through and i, I just couldn't sort of you had so many sort of little hints didn't you with you know it's sort yeah. of like you know seeing it so red door and those like kind of red uh vines sort of like roots have you seen this have you seen the theory going on about the red door i don't know if it was done intentionally or not go on it was that when picard goes to confront the boar queen yeah he stands and takes like several breaths before he goes into the engineering deck and there's a big red door it that is he has to go through. deck 16 engineering now whether that was done intentionally or not, i don't know but yeah you know they, they, well the way this series was written i would imagine it was but uh what, what were your thoughts on jack crusher anyway ed spillers right everyone is singing his praises i like him as a character 
And yeah. certainly that kind of final scene when we see him, you know, on the bridge of the new Enterprise, which we'll come to, I kind of like his cockiness. I like the potential there with, you know, Seven of Nine being so straight-laced and him just being this kind of cocky young dickhead who, whose job is there to kind of be her counsel. Yeah. It, it might be interesting to see how that goes if we ever do see any continuation of this. But I gotta say, I think that the acting of all of the Next Generation returning crew, the Seven so to call them at no point do i find any of their acting to be overdone i find it completely naturalistic i don't know if that's something to do with the fact that i'm just more, much more familiar with their characters but then i find the same with characters like sydney laforge but then i did find several occasions where I, I wanted a bit more restraint from jack there's too much of this frantic pacing back and forth and 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 a bit when just after Troy kind of um, mind melds with, or not mind melds, but um, you know, does her thing yeah, with him and she finds out the truth. I, I think he could have reined it in a little Yeah, bit. I was going to say, funny enough, he's, I'm watching the, the latest series of the Netflix show You, and he's in that mm. as well. And he plays sort of like an evil character. I'm not giving any spoilers for You fans out there, but uh, he's sort of a more evil, sort of twisted character in that. But he, he plays it pretty much the same. And I sort of got the impression with him. I'm like, oh, I could kind of see you on EastEnders. Do, do you know why I see him as Neil, potentially? I, I think he'd be a good shoe-in. And, and again, this would be alternate universe casting. But Star Trek Strange New Worlds has reintroduced Kirk. Yes. I think yeah. he would have been perfect as a young Kirk. He's got that sort of... I, I said there were certain bits when he was doing the sort of almost the swagger of Kirk. And I thought, are you doing the swagger of Kirk based on Chris Pine's version? Or are you doing it based mm. on William Shatner's version? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, But yeah, he's got that sort of swagger of Kirk, haven't he? But um, yeah, it was a passable performance. And like you say, I think the character... I don't think you could base a whole se- a series around him. But I think what he, what he's supposed to be is now the Jean Luc Picard that we never saw is the young impetuous Starfleet Academy yeah, Picard. Isn't he was reckless. Yeah. He was wild, and apparently that is what he was kind of basing his his character on. Yeah, that's fair comment. Yeah. But then in our ninth episode, Troy is the first one to find out the truth about Jack. Yeah, and then we have the big overarching plan revealed. What is it? Data and I have been combing through the changeling intel Rafi took from the strike and we found something. This is Starfleet code. Specifically transporter code. They've implemented portions of Captain Picard's Borg-altered DNA into the transporter system. Wait a minute. Computer, cross-reference this code with the transporter system of the Titan. Analyzing. This code is part of transporter system architecture. Architecture? To simplify the processing of millions of data points, the system stores coding that is common within each particular species. It appears Captain Picard's DNA is now considered common biology in the transporter system. So that's what they've been doing. Using the changelings to infiltrate starships and add this new Borg DNA into everyone who steps inside a transporter. Every person, every species. They've been assimilating the entire fleet this whole time without anyone even knowing. Man, Neil. Obviously, you and I being ones to sort of nitpick kind of little plot elements that don't add up and little story sort of designs that seem like they were written on the back of a postage stamp. 
the whole fucking thing about the Borg taking over Starfleet by integrating stuff into the transporters where like so the transporter you stand on that pad it disintegrates you and then it reintegrates you elsewhere doesn't it yeah but it's kind of like it's just it's destroying you and then it's remaking you based on like a kind of bit of computer code yeah it's basically cloning isn't it yeah Yeah, such like yeah And, and, and and effectively a little bit of code or whatever could be altered and no one would ever know anything and you've just got this ticking time bomb inside you in, in your DNA that when a certain command is given. Essentially, it's like a virus, It's isn't the it? kind of thing. I mean, they did it with season two with Picard, didn't they? Uh, you, know, um, you know, the Borg. Oh, was it season one or two? I can't remember which one now. Um, the, uh, the Borg are in season two, aren't they? The one which I've only seen bits of. The Borg are back, you know, and it's like, uh, yeah. you know, I saw certain comments on Twitter when it was finally revealed of the, oh, it's the bloody Borg again, you know, oh, Christ, haven't they done the Borg enough and stuff like that? But this this storyline generally seemed to be worthy of bringing back the. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, you know, Cosby said on the Doctor Who thing. You know, it's you you watch something and they go, "There's going to be no Daleks in this in this season," and you go, mm, "By about season six, you go, yeah, the Daleks are behind this," and ultimately the finale is, "Oh, the Daleks were behind it," you know. And <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. they kind of done that with the Borg a little bit, but with this one, it was like. Right, okay, this is a completely fresh, different take on it now, isn't it? Well, there's that line from, from Shaw. What's the name of the ship in, in Seasons 1 and 2? Is it the Stargazer? Yeah, or, something like that. He says, yeah, forget about that ship with the Borg, then this is the real Borg. Effectively, he's saying, yeah, f- again, it's another kind of thing to throw away Seasons well, 1 and 2. Well, Beverly Crusher says, no one's here from the Borg in 10 years, you know, over 10 years. Or yeah, exactly, she does, doesn't she? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, okay. She, yeah, she does. <laughs> okay, have you not heard of the Borg? Or just, yeah. has everyone not heard of the Borg? Now, my kind of, and again, you know, I've not been into Star Trek in any way like like I have in the past, these last sort of 10 or 20 years. But my understanding is, at the point that Voyager ends, this virus is, because future Catherine Jen, the last episode yeah. was called Endgame, future Catherine Janeway or Admiral Janeway comes back into the past. Gives herself up, and she? she? Yeah, she meets her younger self and she says, look, things don't go well. You make it home, but there's, there's, there's a heavy price to pay. She then kind of alters the future, you know, goes completely against the Prime Directive, but whatever her reasons, you know, if it, if it makes for a better future, then that's up to her. And essentially this virus is introduced, which kind of stops the Borg from communicating, and essentially the collective kind of collapses. So this supermassive Borg cube that we see kind of partly obscured in the atmosphere of Jupiter, and what a fucking image that is. Yeah, there. that was very sort of like motion picture, Star Trek motion oh, picture. The little, stuff. the tiny Boom. Enterprise D facing yeah. off against this huge... And it's not even like the ball cube that we've seen before. It's got these like antenna coming out of it and stuff. And as we later realize, it, it's a, a as think data says something. It, it's only thirty six percent operational. Um, all of its resources seem to be geared towards sending out this signal. What an image that is! And I was going to say, did that t- did that tie back to the sort of Janeway thing as well? Because they were all sort of like yeah, yeah, wasted away, the, sort of like dilapidated yeah. versions, you know, sort of almost like, almost like zombie Borg, weren't they? In order to maintain herself, the Borg Queen, and I know a lot of people sighed when they reintroduced the Borg Queen, but if we are going to ignore season two and season one, and this is like a a fresh continuation of, of events from you know the end of Voyager and from the last point we've seen them all in Star Trek Nemesis in 2002. Yeah, if you're going to have the final swan song of the Enterprise, of its crew, and of Jean-Luc Picard, then yeah, you've got to have it against the board. I, I just realised have... what we've done with this. They haven't just topped with Maverick there. They've Rocky Balboa there. Oh, hell yeah. Because they've just, like, they've, you know, the, 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 the Rocky Balboa just goes, yeah, Rocky Five never really happened. 
that sort yeah. of still acknowledges the fact that he's back in Philadelphia and he's he's you know he's broke and he's down on his luck, you know. Yeah. It sort of takes takes the what the one element they can't get away from and goes, Yeah, we'll just run with it now and redo it properly. Yeah. yeah. And my God, Neil, you know, if we're gonna talk about the Borg, we're gonna talk about Best of Both Worlds, parts one and two. Yeah. The episodes that close season three and open season four, the next generation, which are still to this day held by many as being you know, peak next generation certainly, so and, probably some you know, of the peak Star Trek. So I was going to say peak Star Trek, and like one yeah. of the greatest cliffhangers of all time. I got to be honest. And you know that episode introduced Elizabeth Dennehy's character yes. of Elizabeth Shelby or, or, or um, Commander Shelby, and she's kind of like Starfleet's expert on the Borg, because obviously the, the Enterprise crew, because of Ku, had met the Borg in I think it was uh, late season two, and you know he kind of snapped his fingers, and they were transferred. You know. 10,000 light years into the or near the Delta Quadrant or into the Beta Quadrant or whatever and they saw you know, they met up with this Borg cube then he snaps his fingers they go back to the Alpha Quadrant and they and it's like yeah um, they absolutely kicked our asses and they, they know that we are we are here now so they're going to be coming for yeah. us so by the time the best of both worlds comes around which I think in show terms was about a year later you know Starfleet have kind of put things uh, you know in, in place to kind of set up some sort of defence you know, to the Borg and she is the person that is given that job and then come what's 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 the name of the big celebration? Uh, was it uh, one Federation Day? Was it what was it? Um, oh, cracky! Why am I blanking on one this? first contact day? It was no. uh, It was. Um, but anyway, whatever. Whatever. They would have their big party Fleet day. Or <laughs> fucking, I don't know. Federation, Federation Day. day I don't know. Thank you. I don't even think it's that. No, it but, was Federation um, Day, wasn't it? Was it Federation I don't think it was. was I don't know. But she now is the person, and, and we you know, we see her. She's an admiral, but she is kind of in charge of, maybe just for this day alone, the, the Enterprise F. Yeah. It's unveiling this new fleet-wide technology that links all the ships together. And even Riker says, he says, the fucking irony of Commander Shelby or, or Elizabeth Shelby being in charge of a bit of technology that is so Borg-like. <laughs> and you know, so many questions could be asked that, uh, did she not fucking stand back and realise what was going on here? But, you know, it, it's just... You know, it's to make the you know Starfleet more efficient if, if you know if some big threat comes. But which I suppose has been her whole career. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So exactly. you can sort of see that perhaps she got so sort of caught up in the midst of doing the right thing that ultimately yeah. she didn't realise where the wrong thing was coming, did she? And obviously, when things go pear shaped, she gets killed or seemingly gets killed. Now, my hope is that. Being such an influential person as she is, obviously we know that the Dominion have infantry, infiltrated Starfleet and replaced several high-ranking officers with changelings. Hopefully, the person we saw get get killed is just someone who was lost in the crossfire and these newly formed Borg drones have just turned on everyone in charge and have killed them. And I'm hoping that the Elizabeth Shelby that we saw get killed was in fact a changeling. And it was, it was, it seemed to be that obviously they were taking out the authority figure straight away, and the changelings were replacing them, weren't they? So there's a good chance that. Oh yeah, because of course we saw in um, what was the episode that Tuvok turns up? Was that episode seven or eight? Or... Yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? And oh yeah, God, yeah, seeing Tim Russ come back as Tuvok and again tying all the all three series together. Se- seamlessly, it ties it ties four together. Oh, isn't it? Check- episode ten opens check with off, yeah. fucking Chekhov. Walter Kovic. He was playing Chekhov's grandson, was it? Anton Chekhov. Yeah, Anton yeah. as well, which is nice, nice uh, touch. I thought. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. It's like Bill Scurry said. It could be argued that it's excessive fan service, or as we can now call it, customer service. But it, it just it does work. It worked for me. 
there was no part there was no part of any of this where I thought that well that's just been added for like you say for fan you know the comments fan service or to to keep the internet happy or anything like that. I just thought so much of it was done with so much love and so much reverence for what had come before it that every every part of that every sort of like cameo if you like or every sort of mm. you know guest star we had on here I thought was done just handled brilliantly. But Neil, where, where does all of that reverence and those member berries peak? It's got to be, isn't it, Neil? The big reveal, because you know we've seen things go wrong now. All of these new ships, which are linked together, you know, a, a subject of this kind of final last gasp of the Borg. You know, they've implemented this plan with the help of the changelings. You've got two races which have been decimated by Star Trek, both taking revenge at the same time, joining forces. And one thing, being a, being a huge fan of Deep Space Nine. I thought, you've got this Bajoran wormhole, and we know there are other wormholes. So that wormhole goes from the Alpha Quadrant to the Gamma Quadrant. Now, if you imagine looking down at a pizza sliced four ways, you've got Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta. Yeah. Now, the Gamma Quadrant would have been next to the Delta Quadrant, which is where the Borg are. And you like, well, did the Dominion ever encounter the Borg? That was never explored. No. But the fact that in this season, the Borg and the Dominion worked together to get their revenge on Starfleet. Because obviously it was Starfleet that put this virus into the, the, the changeling sort of, um, or whatever it was. It was, a, it was a big sea, wasn't it? That they would all go to to kind of regenerate and all be together. Yeah, it was like a sort they, they were, you know, in, in a way, prime, they were very similar prime, to the Borg. Primeval ooze, like, type thing, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Primordial ooze, yeah. yeah or the Great Sea, or whatever it was called. And the fact that they brought those two together to have, and, and you know, the Borg decimated, the Queen, you know, in this last remaining cube has been kind of um, cannibalizing her own drones to keep herself alive. You know, the fact that they brought Alice Krieger back to do the voice, uh, it was it was perfect. Then this sort of last gasp attempt to destroy Starfleet, we know now that they can't use any new ship they barely got control of the titan they limp back to starfleet museum or sorry that the fleet museum because geordie's got an idea because unbeknownst to everyone else he has been working on the enterprise d yeah and it was when they went back there i mean uh, rich said as well i mean i there was one part of me when he was going oh we need to go analog we need to go this and that i thought they were going to use the enterprise a for a second i i thought yeah i i thought it would be the e because i thought no the d has been destroyed doesn't it it's been but then even the way they get that back into the story in Star Trek Generations, one of our favorite films, Neil, without a doubt, which you, me, and Rich will be covering on a future episode of Film 89 because I know a lot of people don't like it. Well, we will give our defense of it at a later date. It's almost like um, a, an easy film to knock, I find. A lot of people sort of jump on board with that. I think they focused, again, not to you know give away stuff we're going to talk about in the later episode, but I think they focused too much on their disdain at Kirk's death and the way it's handled. And and, and again, I'm going to give my thoughts on that, as you will, on, uh, at a later date. And, but... uh, talking of Kirk's death as well, we've, we've forgotten one important little sort of Easter egg, which I say you could say was borderline fan service for the wrong reasons. Was when they went yeah. to the Daystrom station, and then you see the oh, God, Kirk's yeah. body's been kept there. Right, this is the point I'm trying to get to, Neil. Because as much as people will say, "Oh, really, Kirk's body," but when you get to the fact that, well, how have we got the Enterprise D? Well, the the engineering section, because obviously the Enterprise D can split in two. The engineering section blew up, didn't it? it got completely obliterated yeah. when the when the when the warp core breached. But the saucer section crashed on Viridian Three, a planet that isn't populated. But for those people who pay attention to Star Trek Generations. I think the nearby Viridian 4 has got a pre-industrial population. So Starfleet 
complying with the Prime Directive, they choose to remove the source of saccharin from Viridian 3, just in case Viridian 4, in a couple of hundred years or whatever, like they maintain the ability to go to their neighbouring planet. There's a fucking alien spaceship here. What the hell? Yeah. Oh, there's also a human body buried. Oh, what's this? Let's exhume it. And then, obviously, it's James Kirk. So, if they're going to remove the source of saccharin from Viridian 3, they're also going to have to remove Kirk's body, which is buried there. It makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. It makes story sense. I mean, God damn it. Terry Metallus and co have really thought about everything. Yes, there are going to be holes which you could it does, in It does this. seem strange that when his body was exhumed, they didn't just give him a proper funeral, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe they did. We never saw it. Well, you don't know. Do you? I mean, they always you know, think as well, they had the Genesis 2 device on there as well, didn't they? Well, that, yeah. Which, you know, being honest, I mean, especially if you were a Romulan, I'd be a bit annoyed <laughs> with that fact that they had a Genesis device that can recreate new planets. <laughs> be but again, Neil... The, the events of Star Trek Picard season one and two, did they ever happen? Well, exactly. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Again, it depends how far you're going to take that sort of aspect of how they've approached this story. I think a lot of this story was a huge fuck you to the first two seasons. I think it? so, Neil. I definitely so. think so. <laughs> so anyway, Geordi now, he's gone analog and he says, you know, reveals to the rest of the crew, you know, the source of section of the Enterprise D has been retrieved and he's been working on it for the past 20 years. He's used the engineering section of another... Uh, galaxy class starship and then we've got that scene computer lights Smaller, or am I just bigger? No, she's exactly as she was. I preferred the weapon systems on the E. Additional phaser arrays, torpedo. Morph. She is perfect, Jordy. She's not connected to the Starfleet mainframe? I'm positive. You're looking at the last functional ship in the fleet not tied to the system. You know, it wasn't until this moment, reunited with all of you, I realized what I've missed most. The carpet. <laughs> Worf, I've got drones loading torpedoes into the bay as we speak. Mr. Forge? May I? Absolutely, Admiral. Computer, initiate system reactivation procedures. Authorization acknowledged. USS Enterprise now under command of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Well, I hereby accept the field demotion. We've been here before. And 
I'm reluctant to ask you all to face these threats again. We are the crew of the USS Enterprise. But more than that, we're your family. Jack, Elandra, Sydney, they're our family too. Jean-Luc, wherever you go, we go. Thank you, number one. Sessions, please. All systems online, Captain. Weapons are ready, although they are limited. Well, at least we got them. If we encounter the Borg, we're going to need to run, shoot, or hide. So, Jordy, we'll need every bit of power you can get to those old shields. Make it so. I said. Mr. Data, set a direct course for Earth. Maximum warp. Aye, Captain. Course laid in, sir. She's ready. Engage. I, I, I don't know how many times I, I've watched this scene since Neil and listened to it since it aired a week and a half ago. But um, I don't know, Neil. I think for me, this is certainly going to be up there as one of the greatest scenes in all of Star Trek. Yeah, I, I, like I say, um, you could say uh, Luke Skywalker and the Mandalorian, perhaps, but that was CGI. Oh hell this, no! The, you know, this, oh this, no, this it, was no. That doesn't even come close to this. For this me. was like literally like stepping back in time, and well, I suppose almost going back to your childhood, wasn't it? It was. It was just like the nicest visit from an old friend you ever had. Do you know what this was for, Neil? Equating it to something fairly recent. This was Cap picking up Mjolnir. Yes. Yeah. This was both earned... Jaw on the floor moment, wasn't it? Yeah, it was something that we needed. Yeah. Again, going back to you know these two composers, Stephen Bartman and Frederick Weidman's score, oh my good God, that the piece of music that accompanies this scene, which I think I believe is called Make It So, quite, quite know, appropriately, yeah. oh my God, Neil, it is just fucking grandstanding. It is epic. It, it just... And the way they use the lighting as well, I thought was great, because I mean, one of the sort of popular sort of knocks of new track is that everything's so bloody dark on the bridge you know everything's yeah and it was like when the lights sort of illuminated they went up slowly you had that sort of like dramatic yeah. build-up didn't you as you were going out there like it was just oh. and, and then you have like you know little bits of comedy which are perfectly th- thrown in in fact let me just check you know did freaks direct vox i think i think freaks, i think freaks directed one of them i think it might have been vox actually no um terry metallis directed vox right because there's that bit on the um, when they go to the Enterprise D bridge, a little bit of humour the Worf throws in where he says, "I prefer the weapon system." <laughs> and then Troy says to Worf, and he goes, uh, "It's perfect." <laughs> yeah. And then you've got that line where Picard, and you think he's going to get all kind of um, melancholy and 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 romantic. And deliver one of these like long drawn up yeah. poetic speeches. But he says, "You know the thing that I miss the most, the carpet," and it's just perfect, <laughs> perfect. And oh, again, talking about you know things that put a lump in your throat the fact they've got Majel Barrett Rodenberry's voice as the computer yeah I'd... now she's long she is no longer with us Neil yet that voice is used repeatedly in these next two episodes I, I don't know if they've recreated it digitally using AI or whatever but my god 
it just works and it's right it's right that it's done that way as well yeah and you know Neil going back early on in, in this series and, and something which I brought up with uh, Bill Scurry and yourself and the others on one of the WhatsApp chat groups the point at which I knew this show meant business is when at some point early on Picard gives his uh, authorization code for something and it's exactly the same one it's Picard 47 Alpha Tango which is the same one he gives in Star Trek First Contact and when I made that connection I thought they fucking mean business yeah. Aside from the fact that, come on, Jean Luc, how many years has it been and you haven't changed your fucking password? <laughs> We're all guilty of it. But at that point, when I thought they mean business, the, the attention to detail is here, and it's an attention to detail. The callback with first contact was there straight away, like we say with the you know the sort of end theme. But you know, yeah, specifically, I mean, if you go into first contact, you've got Picard saying, "I can, I can hear him." I can. And if he'd had all of his Borg implants removed, how could he still hear them? But there was that thing that they. You know, the Metallus and Co have latched onto, which leads into episode 10 and how they've been able to do this. Episode 10, The Last Generation. Which, personally speaking, I'd have loved this season, this whole season to have been called Star Trek The Last Generation. I think they almost did a disservice to this show by calling it Picard. I, yeah, I know they probably, they, I think they were, I think three seasons were ordered anyway, weren't they? When, when, yeah. when Stuart signed on and sort of by all accounts, dictated what the show was going to be about and you can't have Starfleet uniforms and I don't want to be on a, on a uh, Enterprise and I don't want to be this and I don't want to be that. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Well, if it is, Neil, I think it was just the fact that, and, and we saw this, didn't we, when it got to Star Trek Nemesis, the fact that Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner would kind of become the, the main stars of Star Trek. It had too much power. Yeah. Uh, you only have to look at Star Trek Nemesis when you've got, you know, Captain Picard and, and Data jumping around in a fucking dune buggy. <laughs> And it was like, did you do this for the story or because you just wanted to do it yourselves? With with that fact, was it just the studio not really understanding what Star Trek was about anymore? I don't know. It kind of baffles me that as much as Insurrection was a step down from First Contact, that was still directed by Jonathan Frakes and it still had some great moments in it. But the fact that they pushed him aside and brought Stuart Baird in, who, you know, he was an editor first and foremost, and then he, he was kind of brought on board as director. And I don't know, I, I just think, was he brought on board to be like a puppet director? And, and the fact that you had this, you know, this star now who, and, and as things went on, Picard did become more of an action man, didn't he? Well, yeah, I was going to say with um, with First Contact, he's like sort of swinging around on cables and like, you know, sleeveless top on and stuff like that. And, he, and it's like, yeah. Is that the Picard we knew? Or? <laughs> and, you know, if he's still doing it then in Nemesis, which is, you know, correctly, six years after First Contact, yeah. I, I'm thinking, you're not getting any old, any younger, Patrick. Well, we saw it with the original cast as well, where, you know, I, 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 definitely Shatner was definitely guilty of it for a while, where they, they almost think they're bigger than the character, though. they're bigger than the show, don't yeah. they? And then, yeah. You know, we we saw that with, like I say, with well, definitely with Shatner and definitely with Leonard Nemo as well, where, you know, I, I am mm. not Spock, and then later on in life embraces, I am Spock. Yeah, of you know? yeah. <laughs> And I think that's that's perhaps a telling factor there, that when Stuart was brought back, you know, whether he sort of thought, like, you know, well, they're, they're bringing back the show now, and it's named Picard, you know? Yeah. And perhaps that's how it was sold to him, for him to come back. You don't know, do you? Yeah. Right, Neil. Obviously, coming out of episode nine, I, I think... We were on such a high, weren't we? Did the finale live up to your expectations? If I'm completely honest, I still enjoyed it. I'm going to equate it coming... I'll use the Marvel analogy. There you are. Watching Infinity War, I was like, this is fucking mind-blowing. The next one is going to be amazing. And whether you go in with too high expectations... I remember when we first came from Endgame, sort of thinking, it was really good, I really enjoyed it. 
was it as good as I thought it was going to be? You know, it, it was like, you know, I think I scored it a 10 out of 10, but, you know, in my mind, it was going to be a let. No, but in my mind, it was going to be an 11 out of 10, you know? Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah. The, and I think there was slightly that sort of thing of, because you built up. And again, we were going back to the old sort of viewing schedule now, which more and more streaming services are doing of you're watching this once a week. So you had the whole week of anticipation, didn't you? How many times have you, me, and Richie certainly complained about the length of, of seasons and the fact that when Netflix did their Marvel shows and they had to be 13 episodes and the story then was made to fit that 13 episode format and sometimes it would be too little story spread over too many episodes and too much filler? Yeah, and it was kind of, it was kind of the reverse. It was the reverse, wasn't it? it? I would have been happy with 13 episodes of this show. Yeah, I was kind of hoping. I knew it was only going to be 10 episodes, but I was kind of hoping that we might get a feature-length episode or you know, at least, you know, sort of an extra 20 minutes tagged on for this episode. The final episode did feel a bit rushed, didn't it? Yeah, there was there were a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of things I would have liked to have seen kind of developed on because the, the Dominion sort of, the, the Changeling story was kind of, it was brushed aside as soon as Vadik died, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, and I understand that it was 10 episodes and maybe it was purposeful that they built that crescendo in episode 9 with that big reveal but I think if that had come a few episodes before because I think episode 7 and 8 and maybe I think that could have been condensed under one episode and I would have liked to have seen the ending expanded you know with, with yeah, an extra episode it did seem to drag a little bit yeah. didn't it later on in the season like you say 7 and 8 and then you not drag because I was still enjoying them but I would have liked to have seen the, the, the Enterprise D reveal and that ending be the end of episode eight and then episodes nine and yes. ten be devoted to well how the fuck are they going to beat the borg now definitely and then definitely. we could have had and i gotta say neil as i've said to you and richie and bill and a few other people if this is going to be the end seeing them all sat around the table playing poker it is perfect because yeah the show goes on but for us the audience the next generation story has been brought to a fitting end with all of them there together happy and you know going out on a positive but there's a part of me that thinks if you're gonna have Jean-Luc Picard sit you know putting his his final grace notes to his story as a character let's see him go out in a big sacrificial ending taking out the Borg you know bringing to and it it did seem to be building towards that didn't it, it? Did. So... yeah and I thought that's how he was gonna go when he left the bridge he saw his parting words you know it's been a pleasure serving with you yeah. all when he got to there and he said to Worf and Riker, didn't he, you know, this is the time when I stop being your captain now and I start yeah. being a father. And it was like, yeah, he's going to go. He's going to go out here. And I'm not saying I wanted him to go out, but it was like, yeah, it's right that he does. It is, yeah. And you know, it's, this is the right... And let's be completely honest. We don't really want to see Picard again. No. Without being ageist, there's a very good chance that we, even if the storyline is written in five years' time, that Patrick Stewart won't be yeah, up to play it. He's, he's too old now. He is too old. Yeah. If it's got to the point of, this is the third and final series, this is the last story for this crew, and this is a definitely the last series for Picard, give him that send-off. Yeah. You know, let like you say, let him go out like a heroic sacrifice. I think would have been just as poignant if the whole crew were sat around playing cards at the end, remembering him. Yeah. I think it would have. You know, because that's the strange part. That's the strange part with this. this. This episode seemed rushed, and then the last, the storyline concluded, and I was like, "They still got twenty minutes to go yet." It, it was. It was like that Return of the King ending where we had several endings. Yeah. I didn't need to see a Raffi ending. I just genuinely don't care for the character. Sorry, I didn't need that. No, there's nothing. There's nothing about Raffi that really I thought. No. Yeah, I want to see how her story continues. Nothing interesting at all. 
although it was set up, and let's be honest, everyone was, you know, in the, the sort of first, definitely the first six weeks at least, because we haven't even talked about sure yet, was sort of looking at like Star Trek, like hashtag Star Trek Legacy was the popular sort of Twitter sort mm. of hashtag, wasn't it? And then with this, it was that sort of little bit of anti-climax now of, oh, right, okay, so Jack's going to go on board with Seven and for some mm. bizarre reason, we're going to get excited about this now. Like, And the renaming of the Titan, I know it's just like the Rich mentioned, but it was definitely going to occur to me as well. Renaming the Titan, the Enterprise. No, didn't need to be done. To me, if you have a new flagship Enterprise, maybe, yeah, okay. Yeah. But... I didn't really want to see those three on a new Enterprise anymore. No, no, they I, can still know, they can remain on the Titan. And in fact, Neil, let's go back to Episode Nine because as much as that was you know the peak for us of this season, one of the things I think was a misstep, possibly, is killing off Captain Shaw. I completely agree with you, and I completely disagree with you. I know you. because <laughs> it's almost perfect that yes, a character who. He didn't really have. I mean, you could you could argue the fact we were given some sort of insight into the way he was, and we could yeah. argue the fact that he, you know, displayed like heroics and you know was essentially a fantastic captain at the end. Yeah, and sort of almost you know I don't think he meant to sacrifice himself, but you know ultimately was sacrificed for the good of the, the rest of us. But do we need to see Sean again? Because isn't it sometimes nice just to have that perfect capsule of yes, I love that character. Right. And no, it is never going to be spoiled again. Let me give an alternate version of, of this, Daniel, and and kind of right. Let me just correct myself slightly. I didn't like the way in which he died. Get getting shot by some newly formed Starfleet Borg drone, right? Yeah. Starfleet officer was just recently being turned into a Borg drone, and then he gets shot and killed. No, let's go back further into the season. Let's go back to the bit where he reveals his big sort of problem with Picard, the fact that he was at the Battle of Wolf 359. Let's look at that story that he tells about the fact that this officer was taking people and saying, you, you, you and you go to the escape pods. And it was that random thing of, you know, she she was just pointing at us and, and me. I'm just I'm just yeah. a fucking asshole from Chicago. Why did she pick me? Let's put him in a position where at the end he is able imagine they're on the bridge of the Titan and it's him and seven of nine and, and you know, whoever else. And he says, You, you and you go to the escape pods or go to a shuttle, get out of here. Fantastic. How fantastic would that have been the fact that yeah. he now is sacrificing himself and saving the younger officers just like someone else did for him back during the events of the best of both worlds. That would have been the perfect been, ending because I don't... It would have been a perfect yeah, I made the argument against my initial statement you know, early on to you guys in the week, the fact that at least now we'll never be able to see them fuck up Shaw's character because they've killed him off and we'll just get this perfect little capsule of this perfect character. But if they... It, they, they wrote the first part of it if they'd only written the second part and allowed him to have the sacrifice that he should have had I think it yeah, would have been that much better it would have been beautiful have, to be honest I would, it would have yeah there you go but yeah overall you know the, the way the show ends and oh Neil it, it didn't get me on the initial viewing of the 10th episode but when I've gone back and rewatched it the bit where Picard plugs himself into the collective and he confronts Jack Jack Broken in here. There's no 
suffering, no loneliness, no fear. But Jack, this euphoria isn't real. Perfection isn't evolution. This is death. This is where I'm meant to be. I always have been. You always felt different. Hungry to connect while needing to keep people distant so they never see the real you. I was the same. I joined Starfleet to find a family I didn't have. And I found it. I let them in. But there was always a barrier. I too thought there, there was something wrong with me. And I waited. Waited in that vineyard, waiting to die, alone. But now, Jack, I realize you are the part of me that I never knew was missing. We're out of time. Let's just hope they have a little left. Doctor? Target the beacon. Fire torpedoes. It's a fine day indeed to die with honor. Then if you won't leave, I'll stay with you. Till the end. You have changed my life. Forever. That whole scene with Picard explaining that that Jack was the missing piece in his life that he never knew was missing. Yeah. And you're a father, Neil. I'm a father. The way that scene played for me the second time, it really did get me. It hits home, doesn't it? It hits home. And it's also, and again, we said about Ed Spillier's performance maybe not being you know as, as great as a lot of people are saying i think in this scene here when he does start to kind of um see what his father's doing and there's that thing where, where he pulls him in he puts his hand on his chest doesn't he picard does yeah and then he pulls him in and hugs him he says no i'm, I'm gonna stay here with you and oh my god it is just yeah it's moving i also love the fact that when picard plugs himself into the collective we're shown those scenes from First Contact with him. Yeah, that little, well, it was the opening scene of First yeah. Contact, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I know we've had little nitpicks here and there uh, with, you know, different ways and better ways maybe it could have ended. But come on, Neil. Let, let's, let's look at where we were before this season. It's, it's very rare that you can say that something is utterly faultless and per, you know, perfect, especially over 10 episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's very rare. Even the sort of the greatest films that we love and adore... You can sort of go, yeah, but, you know, about numerous things. Yeah. But like you say, to write this show now 
especially after the first two seasons. And let's be honest, the rest of the Star Trek universe, if you like, mm. to to pull this off now, yeah. I think is masterful. Right, you know, Neil. I said earlier on, didn't I? Pinch yourself because we're seeing them using the cloaking device from the ship from Star Trek Four. Yeah, pinch yourself, Neil. We just had several. I let, let's say four. Right, let's let's count both seasons of Discovery and both seasons of Picard prior to this. Four of the worst seasons of Trek that we'll ever see. Hopefully, hopefully the worst, and hopefully from here on in it'll be it'll be just improvements. That for me was enough to put me off Star Trek. This season has come from nowhere, and it's pulled me back in in a big way. You, me, Richie, Bill, John, and, and a few others. I I, th- I think it's fair to say it's pulled me back in, but I'd be completely honest with you. Unless Tay Metalis is involved yeah. in anything else, I'd be very hard pushed to get enthusiastic about it. and. If there is a new Star Trek spin-off, as we saw at the end there with <laughs> with the three of them, and for some reason Q, uh, yeah, I would go into it with trepidation. I got st- I'd still, I'd still wouldn't be overly enthusiastic. It'd have to really sort of grab hold of me. But you know, Neil, let's not ignore the fact that this has been a this show has been a big fuck you to those first two seasons. Not only has it been. Oh, we're really sorry for these first two seasons because it's not it's not being made by the same people. It's been made by a different creative team, not not entirely. But I think it's been a whole fuck you, not just to the first two seasons and not just to Star Trek. I think it's been a whole fuck you, much in the same way that, like I say, Top of Maverick yeah. was. I think it's a whole fuck you to this sort of agenda based writing and this need to destroy that. I mean, we're all sort of dreaded Indiana Jones now, oh, aren't God, we? Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is there. Dial of fucking Destiny, Jesus Christ. We're, we're all dreading that for the same reasons yeah. of you're going to tear down the character again, yeah, you know, after, after three tremendous films. Make a fool of him, yeah? Yeah. Luke, Luke you know, Skywalker him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we've seen it, like I say, I know it's an easy thing to say with Star Wars, but I'm sure if we sat there for long enough, we could do it with numerous other shows and franchises and films and guns as well. And... I really hope this is another step towards. I hope they look at what was the biggest, most successful film of last year, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. What's the thing that everyone's talking about now? This huge TV success now, Picard season three. I really hope that I would say they, Hollywood, TV studios, showrunners, whatever. I really hope that people take advantage of this now and go, look, this is what people want. Let's give them what they want. Well, Neil, let's do something right that we haven't done for a long time because it seems to me right as if. On Film 89, we have not spoken about new stuff. Ignoring our wrap-up of 2022 that we had back in December, or back at the end of December, most of our episodes now have been geared towards older stuff, sort of retrospective episodes, as we call yeah. them. And we haven't had cause to score something for a while. But given the fact that we're talking about a current TV series that's only just wrapped up a few days ago, give your final thoughts and a score out of 10 for Season 3 of Star Trek Picard. Or Star Trek The Last Generation, as you've now renamed it. <laughs> I'm going to have to go 9 out of 10. If I'm honest, it's probably an 8 out of 10. Uh, but I will score it a 9 out of 10 just for the fact that someone, a group of people, had the ability to rise above whatever dearth had been left before them and actually pull this back and make me interested in Star Trek again. That's what's done to me as well, Neil. It's pulled me back into Star Trek so much so that at the moment... I am currently subscribed to Paramount Plus, which, I all right, I'm still in that seven-day trial period, so I may well cancel it before it expires in a couple of days' time. Oh, like, I go about watch, watch Tulsa King, mate. That's, that's, that's I will watch that's Tulsa King, yeah. But... A rabbit hole with um, Keeper Sutherland as well, I'm quite getting into. Yeah. That's quite good. 
let, let me just tell you the stars of Rabbit Hole. So we'd have Kiefer Sutherland, Charles Dance, and a certain Mr. Weller. <gasps> I'm in. So I'm in. Just leave it there for you, mate. All right? I'm in. <laughs> Holy cow! Charles Dance and Peter Weller. I am in. But yeah, it, I I have been pulled back into Trek in a way that I never thought was possible. Let's just look at some of the stuff this season's given us. It's given us the return of Ensign Row and a satisfactory conclusion to her story, and also the fact that she goes out like a boss, sacrificing herself. A sto- and let's be honest, a story that you weren't ever thinking. I need to. I need to see what happened there. But when you get given it, you go, "Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to see that. I'm glad I saw that." Neil, one bit that we've totally forgot about is that bit with Picard reminiscing about that time uh, a few years back when those young cadets are asking him questions. He, he's saying, oh yeah, and you know, I had to talk to the guy in Metaphors, making a reference back to Dharma, yes. one of the best yeah. Next Generation episodes. And then that scene where his son, who he doesn't even know, is saying, have you got any regrets or whatever? You know, Do you ever regret not having a family? No, no, that, that crew was all the family I ever needed. Starfleet was the only family I ever needed. And the knife in yeah. the guts that must have been to this young yeah. lad who's, who's thinking, this guy who's my father, is it even going to be worth me trying to sort of have any relationship with him? Well, it's that one bit with Crusher, wasn't it, where she actually says to him, I didn't tell him until he was older. Yeah. I let him find you, I know. him yourself, himself, like, you know, and then he, he decided he didn't want to know you. So did he even tell his mum yeah. what had happened there? Or did he just say, look, no, nah, it's not for me, like, you know, I don't want to know him. Do you know, you said it's a nine, probably an eight. I, no, Neil, first off, you are a big Star Trek fan. That initial comment you made is fucking bullshit. May as well just edit it out because you are, you and me have had endless <laughs> conversations about Star Trek. You know as much about Star Trek as anyone I know. I think, Neil, if you rewatch this entire season from start to finish now, I think you'd be that score would certainly be a nine. Maybe it might even go higher. Look look what I, it's done. Look what the show is done. I, I'm happy to settle on a nine at the moment. I can say if I look at episode ten being rushed, if I look at certain yeah. things go, it's, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not perfect. Not, it's not. It's not. You know, so I I'm loath to go, you know, to just jump in with a nine. If I wanted to be hypercritical, I'd go for an eight. But just, just for enjoyment and, like I say, my just total admiration for what's been done here, it's got to be a nine. I, I can it's only agree with you. I can only agree that it's not perfect. Now, they are maybe not even little bits, but significant bits, which I would have liked to have seen done differently, which stop it from getting a 10 out of 10. But again, this has done the unthinkable. If you told me this time last year... Well, you and me would be talking about it. That we'd be talking yeah. about it. Let alone doing a podcast on it. To give our listeners a bit of behind-the-scenes thing, you know, we sort of try and plan out what episodes we're going to do months in advance. This, this one, this was never on the cards at the beginning of 2023. I think it was about episode three, episode four. I thought, we might be doing a podcast on this. You, you said, you said to me and Rich, you said, guys, I think I can see an episode coming on this. And, and at that point, I was like, oh, no, I, I think you're right, Neil. But before I watched those first couple of episodes, I wouldn't have entertained it for a second. No, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, I, I, I can I can only agree with you, Neil. This has done the unthinkable. It's dragged me back into Star Trek and hopefully it's not pushed our expectations too high and hopefully the powers that be. I know Terry Metallus has got a load of other sort of um, irons in fires elsewhere. Well, I didn't realise he did a 12 Monkey series, yeah. didn't he, for TV? And I've never seen that and people are saying that's fantastic as well. Now that's like a sort of like, you know, uh, you know, a sort of a hidden gem that people should hunt out. So I might look into that now. And you know, this is the thing now: when someone does something like this, you do want to sort of see more from him. Now you want to go back and say, "Right, well, okay, what else has he done?" Well, I hope, I hope that he's not a victim of his own success, and I hope that he's able to carry on doing what he's done here. Well, the other thing we've got to look at is: do you got the powers of B? He's not the power of B. No, 
That's right. Yeah. No, he's not. So there could there could well be a sort of active backroom, boardroom sort of discussion going on here, which is like, let's keep him away from Star Trek. There's going to be a lot of dented egos, but I just hope that people that pay the money to make these shows go, no, okay, we're going to go with Metallus. <laughs> hey, Neil, you made, um, you made a lot of references this episode, right, to Topic of Maverick, yeah? Yeah. Common denominator here. Both of them are Paramount properties. Good point, actually, yeah. Let's hope that Paramount maintain their sensibilities because we've seen so many franchises poorly handled by the likes of Amazon with Lord of the Rings and Warner Brothers with all of the properties that they've messed up. And, and we've got to be honest, Disney as well. Disney are the biggest ones. Yeah. Disney are the biggest ones. They have literally run Star Wars. Oh, Neil, Neil, look at this. Oh, my good God. Seasons one and two of The Mandalorian. They were, they were covered in individual episodes on this very podcast. That's actually how I was going to open this. You know, I was imagining the yeah. three of us being sat around talking about it tonight. And I was going to say, boys, you know the way it works. Marvel's gone off the boil. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is dead. Yeah. But we still like the Mandalorian. That's all right. Yeah. And Star Trek's have forgotten, you know, it's an ancient ruin yeah. now. What's happened? The Mandalorian is absolutely... Season three of The Mandalorian is some of the worst writing I've ever seen. Absolute garbage. There you go. I can't fuck, Neil, let, let's, let's do a mini review of season three of The Mandalorian. Should we do the review of that as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to score that one yeah, now? Yeah. I'll, oh. I'll, I'll give it a. I'll, I'll, I'll be generous, Neil. I'll give it a four out of ten. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. Four out of ten. And that was for. There must have been one episode I particularly liked. Um, um, uh, I don't know. I think no, that's a three out of ten. Three right? out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Back to, back to uh, Star Trek The Last Generation. That's a film 89 verdict of 9 out of 10. Make it so. Make it so. <laughs> so, uh, Neil, where can people hit you up on social media if they want to uh, discuss Star Trek and how much of a big fan of it you are or, or anything else for that matter? You can find me on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin. I haven't got a blue check, but that's not because Elon doesn't like me. It's because I'm not famous enough. I'm just not paying £8 a month. Really. Crikey, that's, that's a couple of beers for me. In fact, I think it's, it's more than that, I think, isn't it? I think it's near £11. I don't know. Either no. way. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies, and you can find the rest of the Film 89 team, obviously, at Film 89 UK on Twitter and Facebook. And the website, please check it out, film89.co.uk. This has been granted. I'm absolutely gutted that Richie couldn't join us for this episode because it would have finally meant that the three of us were here discussing Star Trek, something which, believe it or not, 96 episodes in, we have yet to do. You and I have discussed Star Trek, uh, Richie and I have discussed it, and we've had other people on discussing the Strange New Worlds. But yeah, you know, the three of us have yet to discuss Star Trek in in, uh, you know, in, in an individual episode. But yeah, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll do it at some point. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> but until next time, stay safe, be excellent to one another. But more importantly, get off my bridge. <laughs> <laughs>